0: this is always a true crime podcast. My mother was murdered in 2016. Please join me as I take a deep dive into her case from disappearance to trial because I won't let her murderer have the last word. Her name was Anita. We called her Sticky and this is her story. Wilanna well, Anita Reinhardt was born August twentieth, 1954, in Dallas, Texas. Her parents, Bill and Ann, were hardworking people whose education stopped at elementary school. My grandpa could read and write his name, but not much more than that. He was able to buy a little plot of land in Balt Springs, Texas, and there he built a home for his wife and five children. I don't know how he met my grandmother. He was 10 years older than her, and she was very young. Like, very, very young when they married. But she was a typical 1950s housewife, devoted to her family. My grandpa controlled every aspect of her life. Didn't even learn to drive until she was 40, and most of her kids were grown. Both of my grandparents loved music. My grandpa's annual vacation was built around the Kentucky Bluegrass Festival, My grandma was a bit cooler, though. She liked Willie and Waylon, Elvis, and the Beatles. She loved the Rolling Stones, especially Mick Jagger. My mom was the middle of five kids. She had two older brothers, Condi and Frankie, a younger brother, John, and a sister, Mona. An uncle named her Sticky as a child, and from then on, that was her name. Family, friends, even I referred to her as Sticky. I assume her childhood was typical for growing up in the Bible Belt. Women and girls were expected to be submissive, seen, and not heard. Her extreme distrust of churches and men left me wondering if she had been abused, but I never asked her the tough questions. She was very pretty and petite with blue-gray eyes and long brown wavy hair. Her brother's wife remembers when she met my mom on her first day of high school. She was quote, just so beautiful and looked so cool. She was shy and quiet around most people, but could be funny and mischievous with those she knew and loved. She was creative and always listening to music. As a teen, she plastered her bedroom walls with pictures of future future rock legends. She often went to concerts with her older brothers. With the lack security in the 60s and 70s, they were able to gain access to the hotel dining room where Led Zeppelin were eating. At 15, she waited alone backstage to meet Jimi Hendrix at his, and get his autograph. She said he was very polite. He shook her hand, apologized for all the groupies that had shoved her out of the way so they could shove their tongues down his throat. That autograph Hendrix ticket was the most cherished item she ever owned. She kept it for decades, but finally sold it when she needed some cash. Her beloved older brother, Frankie, was killed by a drunk driver a year before I was born. His death affected everyone in the family, of course, but it hit my mom especially hard. She was just never quite the same. No doubt trying to fill the loss, she quickly married my dad and had me by age 21. My parents had music in common, but little else. He was a bit of a loud mouth, kind of a know-it-all. He talked nonstop, and my quiet mom just couldn't stand to listen to him anymore, so she divorced him. I was five or six when she and I moved into the house my grandpa built. Her childhood home became my childhood home. We lived there with her brother Condi and his wife Susan. Still reliving their hippie days, we had beads hanging in one doorway and a life-size poster of Jim Morrison on another. Their friends came over often to play cards, listen to music, and smoke weed. I was the designated passer. During a lesson at school about bones, my teacher asked if anybody knew what joints were. My hand immediately shot up. I also got in trouble for wearing roach clips in my hair to school. Back then, because we had drugs in the house, I couldn't play with neighborhood kids. Only the children of their friends were allowed to come over. So I spent most of my time around adults, including a prominent member of the Children of God cult. There's a very disturbing documentary available on Netflix about the abuse within the cult. I won't go into it further. I'm not implying I was abused though, quite the opposite actually. My mom was physically tiny, but she was a fierce protector of me and I always felt safe as a child. She was great as a single mom. Somehow, even though we never had money, we were still able to go to tons of amazing concerts. I saw my first Van Halen show before I even saw kindergarten. I remember us waiting near the exit tunnel at Reunion Arena hoping to catch a glimpse of the band leaving. She couldn't give me much, but she did give me music, which is really everything. You know, some kids got cars on their 16th birthday, but I got a cassette tape of the Beatles singing Anna. That's my name, by the way. I loved it, though, because it meant something to us. Her gifts were never expensive, but they were always thoughtful and meaningful. My mom was reserved expressing affection towards me, though. Um, Maybe that was just her personality, but I don't remember hugs or kisses. She would reject holding my hand in public because it might look funny. Funny was her term for gay. It's sad to me that my mom wouldn't hold my hand, no matter what her real or perceived reasons were. But while she may not have been affectionate, she was still a great caregiver. I started getting migraines when I was four years old, and she would soothe me by turning off all the lights and would quietly tell me stories until the vice grip of pain passed or I fell asleep. Her hands always felt cool to the touch and so welcome on my forehead. She spent many years working as a medical assistant. She enjoyed taking care of people. It gave her purpose, she was good at it, and she was well liked by her coworkers and patients. But as I became older, I realized how restless and unhappy she was. She just never seemed settled. She was always agitated. We moved more times than I can count. We went back and forth from Texas to California a few times. She remarried twice after divorcing my dad. One husband was too nice, the other was too mean. She was never satisfied. She struggled with major depressive episodes, alcohol abuse, and violent relationships. She began having trouble holding down jobs that were below her ability. She lost her apartment and her car. I went to live with my Aunt Mona while my mom lived in a motel. She began to isolate herself and alienated her family and even me. She would spend days locked away in the dark, drinking and listening to sad songs over and over again. Her depression became much worse when she stopped listening to music altogether. She complained of the noise of the loud guitars she had once loved. She left California just as I was getting married and starting my own little family. She moved to Ohio, then to Missouri. Her husband passed away from cancer and she ended up back in Texas, then Las Vegas. Around the same time, my youngest son was born with a life threatening heart defect. His care and survival were the only things I could focus on. I couldn't be a source of comfort for her, and she definitely wasn't one for me. She became rude and selfish, and during that time, I just didn't like her. It's hard to say that now, but it's how I felt. I only wanted to scream and make her be the person I remembered as a kid. Every time my phone rang, I expected bad news. She was on bad terms with everyone in our family when she finally moved to Joplin, Missouri. It was right after the big EF5 tornado that leveled the town in May of 2011. I don't know, but maybe that was the clean slate she needed to rebuild her own foundation. Because slowly, she started turning her life around. She began working at a hospital, this time in the housekeeping department. She didn't have to have as much patient interaction, but she was still able to care for people again. She had purpose again. She was able to rent a spare room from a former co-worker and her husband. Somehow, she discovered the Harry Potter series, which gave her an instant bond with my two boys. She connected with the snarky but tragic Snape. I named this podcast always as a nod to his one-word declaration of love and commitment. I got her an iPhone and added her to our plan so that she wouldn't have to worry about the cost, but she would always have access to me and her grandkids. She also enjoyed having internet access to fuel her Alan Rickman obsession. (laughs) She got a couple little weenie dogs and named them Severus and Lily, and then Luna came later. She called them my siblings and would text me pictures of them. She lived for those dogs. She finally had the unconditional, uncomplicated love that she needed. In November of 2012, while at work, she had a massive heart attack. A nurse found her unconscious in a supply closet. She died three times that night, and she was in a coma for a week she was tough, and she recovered <laughs> well enough that she went right back to work. And in 2013, she was named the Freeman Health System Housekeeper Department's Employee of the Year. I'd like to read the following acknowledgement from the housekeeping department when she won. Employee of the Year. It reads: Anita has been employed with CROTHALL Healthcare since February 2012 as an emergency room housekeeping technician at Freeman Health System in Joplin, Missouri. Anita has proven to possess all of the attributes of a stellar employee: perfect attendance, excellent performance, and a great attitude, just to name a few. However, she has a very unique story that sets her apart from all others. On Friday, November 2, 2012, at 3.30 p.m., Anita reported to work as usual for her shift. She mentioned that she wasn't feeling well, but insisted on working anyway. At 6.30 p.m., while cleaning inside the emergency room, Anita suffered a heart attack. An ED nurse found her lying on the floor of a soiled utility room. She was unresponsive, her skin was blue, and she wasn't breathing. She was immediately rushed to the cath lab and admitted to the ICU room, where she remained in a coma for a week. Upon regaining consciousness, Anita asked to see her operations manager. Anita Anita explained that she was very thankful that she had been at the hospital at the time and that she was planning to get back to work quickly. However, as anxious as she was to return to work, Anita had to follow the doctor's orders, which included seven weeks of bed rest. Upon Anita's work, return to work sorry, in January of this year, she was greeted with celebration by both the housekeeper and emergency departments. Our manager proclaimed, I am so glad Anita has recovered and is back with our family of housekeepers. Everyone has come to know and love her. Anita continues to prove herself as a stellar employee, receiving great accolades from her customers and patients alike. However, now Anita truly displays the heart of a servant. During a conversation with her director, she said it best with the comment, I see a lot of patients who are very ill or dying. I just want to do my best to make sure they're experiencing the best possible care. Whether I'm cleaning their room, getting them a blanket, whatever it takes, I love my job and I plan to keep working here until I retire or die again. That's Anita's humor. However, Anita's actions speak louder than words every day while she is at work. She exemplifies Krothel's core values. There are thousands of housekeepers throughout the world who faithfully work day and night. Unfortunately, their jobs are oftentimes undesirable and thankless. In spite of that, there are a special few who dedicate their lives to a lifelong career of service. These individuals are the backbone of our society's workforce, and Anita is a shining example. It is our pleasure to announce that Anita, Anita is the Freeman Housekeeping Department's Employee of the Year for 2013. Congratulations, Anita. She was the happiest and healthiest I could remember her being since I was a kid. She had stopped drinking. She had no interest in dating. She was content being a widow. Her late husband's pictures were displayed all over her home. She began enjoying current music and movies again. I was surprised when she knew and liked a song from my favorite band. She was becoming herself again. And in the spring of 2016, we began planning for her to come out here to California to visit the newly opened Wizarding World of Harry Potter. She was able to buy her her first ever brand new car. And she had just moved into a little rental house with her pups. She was doing really great. But then I got a phone call. Next time on Always.